Geordie Happiness Hero may contain mature themes and or language. Disclaimer, I am not a medical professional or mental health specialist. Please, if you're hurting, reach out for help. There is so much good and helpful advice to be found in podcasts from loved ones, etc., but there's no substitute for and no shame in seeking professional help. Also, trigger warning, this episode does talk about suicide. Random things. Hello and welcome to Jordy Happiness Hero. I am here with Steve Stoddard, and he's joining us from Boise, Idaho. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Steve. I really, really appreciate it, and I'm really excited to get to hear your story and to get to share your story. Uh, Steve and I met clear back in college. We were in a musical together, and he, he at the time, was a very newlywed uh, mm-hmm. person, and I became fast friends with him and his ex-wife, Jessica, and... I don't know if you remember this, Steve, but we were good friends during the show, and you guys had like this conspiring to set me up with people or something. And like you had like a Halloween party at your house, and I was expecting like a full on Halloween party, and I came already all excited. And when I got there, it was just me and this guy from the cast, and then you and Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I do not remember that. It was Jason but, Bevan. Jason Bevan, if you ever hear this, I hope you remember this and remember how awkward this was. But it was also I'm sorry funny. I didn't work out with Jason. Oh, it was it was hilarious. <laughs> well, Jason and I already knew each other like as acquaintances since like high school and stuff. So, but as soon as you guys like left the room, we just like looked at each other and just giggled. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I have no recollection. Was of that. I remember being Jason's a great again. guy. Jason's a great guy. But it just wow. was, wasn't meant to be. He was a great guy. Look at us trying our darndest. <laughs> it was cute. And then you went on, you were selling during the summer's uh, security systems. And yes. you you talked me into that. I was going to go sell security systems for you. And we had some long car rides to like Salt Lake to go to some kind of conferences or something. I don't remember mm-hmm. what those were. But we had hours and hours to just talk. And I am an awkward human. And if I'm alone in a car with someone... They are going to hear everything, like my whole life story. They're going to, they're going to know me. Like, I can't, I can't leave like moments of silence. So poor Steve, (laughs) (laughs) poor Steve got to know everything about me on this. Well, the one trip we had these weird, I'm sorry if they ever hear this, but these, I don't even know who they were. These boys with us that were just, they said weird things and they were very weird. And it was a very uncomfortable situation. And so my way of dealing with the uncomfortable situation was. If you do all the talking, then they can't say all the weird things. Yes. Like, I don't think that's appropriate what you're saying. Yes. I remember both of the weird boys. And yeah, accurately described. um, And then, yeah, the other time, I don't know, it was just going there or back or something. It's just you and I, and we had, I had three hours to just talk your ear off or what, hour and a half, I guess it's not that far from Salt Lake. Two and a half, something. I don't yeah. know. But it was good. We became fast yeah. friends. Oh man, even though your matchmaking didn't work out, oh, um, I did by some weird freak chance end up marrying Jessica's cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't even have any matchmaking to do that. It, it all happened 
without <laughs> I know if only we had like planned things a little better we could have but we didn't need to you figured it out on your own <laughs> yeah I remember she showed up for like a concert at, it was at Pokey the, some of the younger siblings were in a choir concert and Jessica came and I was there and she's like what are you doing here and I was like well I came with Cor and she's like are you dating Cor? Cor's my cousin <laughs> uh, so yeah so we were family we are still family mm-hmm. and and then things developed and things happened and we'll, we'll get into all this good stuff and now you have an amazing podcast the husband-in-law podcast with jessica your ex-wife and her her husband now her current husband not current husband her her husband her husband <laughs> yeah uh matt and yeah. it's amazing it's such a good it's a good good podcast because you can learn so much from it like anybody who co-parents anybody who has been through a myriad of different things can benefit and listen and just grow from a lot of the wisdom nuggets that you guys share anyway but it's a fascinating story that we share that's for sure it is it is i want to know now the same way I start every episode, three random facts about you, Steve Stoddard. Random facts about me. Oh, man. Well, I'm a gay man with an ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't get that message already from my introduction. Um, what else? I um, I cut my own hair and dye my own hair nice. from the back and everything. <laughs> that's talent so usually it looks good sometimes it does not uh what else random fact um I don't know, that's all i can think of you get two <laughs> <laughs> perfect so good all right so every episode i have i think this is the english teacher in me but I always start with some kind of quote or lyric or, you know, a a talking point, something that I feel captures the stories that I want people to learn or to hear or whatever in the, in the interview. And so the quote I'm sharing today is from Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson. Uh, And he said, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. I really liked that quote. I felt like it was really appropriate. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, Steve, I want to hear your origin story. I want to know what it was like growing up when you realized you were queer, um, all of it. I just want to know, what was your experience? Okay. <clears throat> Where to start? Um, I grew up in Southeast Idaho, a very conservative community in a Mormon family, and was raised Mormon. And I was, uh, I was all about that. I was, I was a pretty quiet kid, pretty introverted. I feel like I was like 25 before I really, like, found my footing in life and kind of found the things I enjoy in life and what I was passionate about and um so anyway growing up was um pretty traditional mormon upbringing mom and dad i'm the middle of five kids so i have four siblings 
and um, I was seminary president in high school, very, very interested in the church, very, very, uh, I was into all that. I loved it as a primary kid, um, went to, and all of this was in Idle Falls. I went to college in Pocatello, which is where we got our start. And honestly, I was mm -hmm. trying to remember if it was the play where we met or where it was. Is that what it was? It was, it was the Institute play, the Joseph Smith one. What was it called? Uh, one Life. One Life. Yes. Yes. Needless to say, Jessica and I, my at the time wife and I, were not the best of actors, but hey, we got roles. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I served a mission in Bolivia and then went back to college in Pocatello. Uh, I will say about my mission, I loved my mission. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I loved getting to help people. People ask me now, now that I'm out of the church, if I regret going on a mission, if it was a waste of time, and it wasn't. I, I loved getting to help people and to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe all the things that I was teaching people back then, but it's still, I liked helping people be better. I liked bringing families together. I liked helping people find hope. And, uh, and it was just an amazing experience for me personally, learning a new language and getting to live in a third yeah. world country and uh, very cool stuff. Um, I met Jessica in college and um, we dated for 10 months and got married which seems really quick to me, even though that wasn't that quick back then. And uh, <clears throat> what am I saying? I moved quicker than that in my current relationship. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, she and I were together for seven years. I had not really admitted to myself or to anyone else that I was gay until I was with Jessica and she confronted me about it and asked me if I was gay. She found gay porn on my computer, which is a pretty good indicator. <laughs> but somehow, even though that's what I was looking at, I still, and even though that's what I was drawn to, I still somehow had myself convinced that I was not gay, that this was not really a, an issue for me, that it was something I could deal with, or that it, rather that it was an issue for me, but not something that made up who I was, or that really determined the path I was going to follow in life. I was determined to follow the path that I had been taught, which was, uh, follow the teachings of the Mormon church, marry a woman, have a family, and that all would be well, and that that would be a happy, natural fit for me. <clears throat> Turns out it wasn't. What a surprise. <laughs> um, I guess you had asked in there, at what age did I know I was gay? And the furthest back that I can put a date stamp on was 11. I, 11 and a half. I was six months out from getting the Aaronic priesthood, which you get when you're 12 years old in the Mormon church. And so I had a sit down where I, you know, was kind of getting prepped for that. And I just remember feeling so stressed and anxious and so much guilt about feeling like I was not worthy to get the priesthood and I wasn't going to be in six months time. And it was because of this, I probably didn't know exactly what it all meant, but I knew the way I was, was not right was not the way I was taught I was supposed to be. I felt things I wasn't supposed to feel. I was into things I wasn't supposed to be into. And <clears throat> I, uh, 
where was I at in my timeline here? <laughs> um, Jessica and I got married six months into our marriage. That's when she asked me if I was gay. It was the first time I had to admit that yes, I am. And it took me a few weeks to say that to her, or a few months or years, or I don't even remember the timeline, but it was a long time before I could actually say the words, I'm gay. I remember those words just like when she asked me, I just remember that like spinning through my head for days and weeks, am I gay? Am I gay? And of course, I, I had to say yes, if I was being honest with myself. Um, I knew what I was into. I knew what I was attracted to. I knew what I felt. It was just denial at its best, thinking that I, that that wasn't actually me and, and a part of me. Um, we decided to stay in our marriage. I had never been with a man. I didn't intend to be with a man. I wanted to be with her. I wanted to make this work. I wanted to have a family with her. I loved her very much. I enjoyed the hell out of her. She's, she's great. She's loving. She is supportive. She's fun as hell. Um, and so we did that for six and a half more years. We were married for seven years total by the end of our marriage, or like, at least as time went on in our marriage, I became more and more open with her about what I felt and what life was like for me and those day-to-day -day struggles. And it literally became a daily conversation of things that I had struggled with that day, things that were temptations for me and how I dealt with them, either what worked well or what didn't. And at the time I, I wasn't acting out with men. I was, it was pornography and masturbation was my outlet and I, um, I, that was like the one outlet for the gay side of myself. Try as I may, I had a very difficult time controlling that. And, um, but my wife was super understanding. We talked about it regularly and she and I actually grew quite close as I like opened up and really let her see, let both of us, including myself, see who I am and what I feel. And um, eventually it led to the point seven years into our marriage that I knew I was just, I knew this wasn't going to change. And I think I had always known that, but it just became more and more apparent as time went on that I, I couldn't just white knuckle it through life every day. And um, I found, I found myself having a much harder time resisting I found a, having a harder time pushing that part of myself down deeper. I had never let it out. I'd never let it surface. I'd never let it be and exist. And when I finally did, um, I, I met a guy, went on a date with him, had sex with him, fell in love with him. <laughs> and that, uh, was of course, the where our marriage ended and when i started life as an openly gay man and <clears throat> the thing that was so pivotal was when i hooked up with this guy i i expected it to feel while amazing at the time i thought this is going to be a disappointment it's going to feel wrong i'm gonna feel regret remorse. I'm going to feel dirty and I'm going to want to repent of this and I'm going to want to move on and I'm going to want to put this behind me. And at least now 
I know it's not what I want. I finally engaged it. It's not as good as it always, as I always thought it would be in my head, the way I fantasized about it. But guess what? <laughs> it was none of those things. It was amazing and it felt right. And I remember waking up the next morning with my head laying on this guy's chest and just feeling so comfortable in my own skin and just thinking, fuck, <laughs> what the fuck do I do now? What do I do with this information? This is not how this was supposed to feel. It was not supposed to feel right. It was not supposed to feel natural. And it absolutely does. Just feeling comfortable in my own skin for the first time, like how that kind of, I don't know, it was just like, it was just natural. And I didn't know what to do with that information. It, uh, I was 29 years old at the time and it just kind of threw my whole belief system into a, into a spin. And it was just like, I don't know what's, I don't know what's right anymore. I don't know what's true anymore. I don't know if everything I've ever believed and every, every, the belief system in which I have based every decision in my life off of, I don't know if that holds any validity anymore because this thing that was supposed to feel wrong feels right. What do I do with that? And how could it be right? I just cheated on my wife. This is going to break her heart. How could this possibly feel right? It is wrong. But so that was a, a, a you know, the conversation going on in my head all this time. And, um, I came clean to her that I had had an affair and that it really messed me up. I hated that I was unfaithful to her. I hated that I was hurting her and I hated that I didn't just want to walk away from it, that I didn't, you know, it, it, I hated that it had an appeal to me and that it felt right. Um, we of course got divorced we but before we did so we talked through what we wanted our life to look like and we both decided jessica mostly took the lead on this and i love her for that but we decided that we we didn't want to be the typical divorce story where you can't stand each other and we can't be in the same room together and our poor kids are caught in the middle of this awful relationship with their parents and we have to split our time and so we kind of mapped out, like, we want to still be in each other's lives and still support each other. And okay, so we're not meant to be husband and wife, but we're great together in a hundred other ways. Let's hang on to those ways. Um, let's still have each other's back. Let's still be each other's person. Let's, uh, let's still raise our, at the time we had a, a, a one-year-old, like, let's still raise our child the way we plan to do so together and united and putting her first and um, we, uh, and let's, you know, when we both find our new partners down the road, let's get together me and my boyfriend and you and your boyfriend for meals and birthdays and events and holidays. And, and honestly, all of that is exactly how it's happened. We have done all those things. Um, we're both in, uh, relationships now. Jessica has been remarried for almost 10 years. Um, I'm just celebrated two years with my partner and, um, the Jessica and her husband and I have been doing the husband in law podcast for, uh, oh my gosh, it is been four years. <laughs> I was just thinking about the time frame. We've always said three and a half years, but now it's four June, four years ago. 
Um, and we just told our whole story and um, just talked through what got us to where we are and our odd little family and how it works for us and things that go well and things that don't and things that we share the same opinions on and things that we have very differing opinions on. And uh, I love our little life. It's a very unique little family and I love that we're we still have each other's backs and I'm, I'm friends with her husband and we get along great and we work together for a year and a half. And, uh, you know, we've got a good little scenario going for us. Our daughter is 13 years old now, and I just love the upbringing that she's getting. She's, she's gotten, I swear she had more life experience at eight years old than most adults that I know, because she just had seen a lot of different ways to live life and been exposed to a lot of different kinds of people. And that's like, to me, that's like the, the, the biggest gift I can give her as her parent is just exposure to different ways of living life so that she can feel out which ones feel right and natural for her. Yeah. Um, I didn't get that growing up. I saw one way of life. I was taught that there is one path to happiness and that if you deviate from this path, you're going to be miserable. Mm -hmm. And as appealing as it might seem and don't go there, you'll regret it and you'll be unhappy in the end. Not the case. There are so many different ways to live life. And I think our challenge in life is for each of us to find a path that is actually natural for us, find passions that actually speak to us, that make us feel alive, find people that we actually connect with and that draw out good energy in us. And that's going to be so different for every single person. And um, so I love that my daughter is getting to see so many different ways to live life. And while her, my ex-wife and, you know, Penny's mom and Penny, my daughter, they are still Mormon uh, and Penny's being raised Mormon. I'm totally fine with that because I know it's not the only path she's getting to see. She's getting to see lots of different ones. And no matter, I just, I have no doubt that whatever she ends up being in life, it will have been her choice. And that's, yeah. that's what matters to me. Yeah, I and think... I want to support people. Well, I, I think that's I awesome. I support people in living their life. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> No, I was going to say, I think that's awesome. I think that a lot of parents struggle to just let their kids, you know, let go of, you want to protect them, but you have to let go of the reins enough that they can figure out who they are, you know? And a lot right. of parents are too afraid to do that. And it's hard to do. And I don't claim to have parenting figured out by any means. And I'm sure I'll know in 20 years all the ways that I screwed my kid up doing what I thought was <laughs> right, but, um, but I, you know, she's, I, I just have no doubt that she's going to end up being a good person with a good life. And I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. And I try not to have expectations of that when I do, it just tends to cause problems or disappointment for me. Like that, you know, why, 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 why should I put my expectations on her of what I want her life to look like based on what I think? Like, no, I just, I want her to be able to find that on her own and figure it out and build her own life exactly the way she, she wants it to be. And I just want to try and guide her along in that. Well, yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that's very, very wise because what you mainly want, even when parents are trying to control things out of fear and whatnot, they really want happiness for their kids, right? Or at least that's, I would hope that would be their motivator is you want your kids ultimately to be happy. And they think that, oh, the only way they're going to be happy is if they follow this one way. When in reality- I have yeah. to teach them how to be happy. 
Yeah. No, we don't. <laughs> In reality, they have to find their own happy. They have to figure figure that out. And we just need to kind of sit back and be there to help them and support them and, you know, maybe give them advice if they want it and maybe guide them when we need to for their safety and things like that. But it's important to let them find their own happiness, find what makes them happy. Right. I think it's and great. Her happy is going to be different than my happy. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't always look the same. I, as an educator, I get sometimes in the mindset where like, my girls have to go to college. They have to get degrees. They have to like, and I sometimes get caught in that mindset. And core, my husband's always good about being like, not every kid goes to college and that's not the right path for everyone. And what if they don't want to? And so we kind of have that good balance going on. And it's good sometimes that we remind each other and he has other times when he's maybe really strict on something. And I'm like, eh, you know, like maybe we should loosen the reins on that a little bit because maybe it's not as important as you're thinking it is. <laughs> it's nice to have that balance. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it's a lot easier when you can, as adults, you know, come to a place where you agree and not have it be. <clears throat> A battle and not have it be just you know relationship destruction i think it's amazing right. and inspiring and so good that you and jessica have had the had and kept the relationship that you do especially for penny because right. everyone who is co-parenting can learn from this like it's not about you it's not about you it's about those kids and and, you know, and it, it's also good for you, too. You're going to be less miserable if you're not hating someone, you know, hating the person you brought children into the world with. <laughs> right. And, and Jessica really led the way there. I was shocked at how quickly she was able to let go of the bitterness and the hurts and to hang on to the, the other parts. But um, but she she said... Why would I choose to spend my life feeling anger and remorse and resentment? Why? Like, I don't want to feel those things when I'm around you. And she somehow was able to let go of them with that, with that decision. And, and I, I love it. We, you know, we just always say that we just re, re revamped our relationship. We hung on to the parts that worked well and we let go of the parts that didn't. And it's funny how that's kind of morphed into like a brother sister relationship. That's kind of how Jessica and I, like, we know we're each other's people. We have each other's back. We can talk about anything. Uh, we can pick up right where we left off. Even if it's been a long time, we can tell each other everything. Um, that's kind of like you would with your siblings, you know, it just kind of feels like that, which is very solid. And that's great. That's so good. I'm, so happy for that all right so i want to know tell me about life now because you transitioned from okay. not being happy and trying to conform to something that you felt you know was expected of you that you felt was the only right way to do it the only way to the only path to happiness mm -hmm. and you had this and i it, but wasn't all sunshine. Like it was, you probably went through serious, serious heart. Like I know having gone through a faith crisis myself, it is not an easy 
transition is not easy. Anyone who thinks you're just taking the easy way out, whatever, you've not been through this, is not easy. Your whole world comes crashing yeah. down. Everything you thought you knew, like you said, bringing into question every decision you ever made, like the whole path mm -hmm. you set for your life, things like that. Like it drives you into a dark hole when that comes crashing down. Yeah. But coming out of the it, other side of it that, was dark. yeah. I have it was I, dark for a couple of years. Like, like I, I almost didn't get through it. I, it was that it was that hard, that dark, and that heavy. Um, but those those roots run deep of what you thought you should want and what the life that held value versus a life that does not hold value. And it was very hard. It was very hard for me to convince myself that I that life was worth living as a gay man. I, for there was a time where I thought if I can't stay in the Mormon church and if I can't stay in this marriage with Jessica, then I shouldn't stay. I shouldn't live. And that's that's a hard, that was a hard thing to get past. It took a couple years. But um, but I know you didn't want to, you don't want to focus on that. You want to talk about the, the positive parts of coming think, out of that. Well, I think that's an important part though. That's an important part. You have the darkness, you have the lows, but then you have something to come out of. And then you, you know, the sunshine part, the part where you come out and you find your happiness and you start living authentically. I want to hear about what life is like now that you can live authentically. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a difference of the source of what drives me. Is it internal versus external? It's a difference of is life are my life decisions based off of external, oops, I'm hitting things, <laughs> my lamp, of external influences of other people and societal expectations or things that I think other people expect of me? Is that what's driving my decisions or is it coming from inside of things that I feel are right for me and things that feel natural and good and fulfilling to me? Um, and that's something I'm still working on and still striving to, striving to do is to base my decisions off of what I feel and what feels what feels right to me. Something anyone in any circumstance of life is gonna have to deal with. You don't have to you don't have to be a closeted gay man to to experience to experience that. I mean all of us in many aspects have to have to learn are we following our internal problems, our internal feelings, or are we going off of programming that came from external influences? Um so life, life now, though, is uh, I live with my with my partner, Jalen. Uh, he and I have been together two years. Um, we live in Boise, we're, which is where we've been for, and I guess I'm 41 now, came out at 29. So I guess I'm 12 years into this now. And um, our daughter's 13. But uh, we live in Boise. So does Jessica and her husband. And we, um, so we're close by. Um, we've had Penny. I've always had Penny half the time, um, all this time up until this past year in seventh grade, we switched up her schedule a little bit. She really wanted the consistency of doing all her school days from one house. And, uh, the older she's gotten, the more, the more stuff she has and the more routine and hair products and skin products and sleeping routines and electronics and all the things that were a lot harder to carry back and forth from house to house every day or every week. And so for the sake of consistency and as hard as it was for me to give that up, we, um, she spends more time at her mom's now than she does with us. 
and it's been good for her and her stress level's a lot lower and she's much more content and and it's also improved the relationship with Penny and I. We have a little less time together now and so it tends to be more quality time. And the good thing is we still get the fun times together and the good times together, but we have less of the what were at the time a little more tense interactions like get out of bed, get up, let's go to school. We got to get here. Let's get you to swim. Did you do your homework? Did you, you know, put away your dishes? It's less of those things, but it's still the same amount of the quality stuff where we generally, you know, we authentically enjoy each other. Um, Jalen is an awesome fit into me and Penny's relationship early on. It was after that, you know, early on after coming out, it was so impossibly difficult for me to picture having an, a partner involved in Penny's life and what that would look like. And, I burned through a lot of relationships over the last 12 years, just not finding what was the right fit for me. And, um, but Jalen has absolutely been that he fits in so well. He has such a cute relationship with Penny. He's such a good match for me. Um, so supportive and just so complimentary of what I bring to the table and balances me out in all the right ways. And, uh, I know that sounds cliche, but it's absolutely like he's just he's just been exactly what I've needed and um but we I'm I'm not in the Mormon church anymore. My belief system has changed entirely and it's a much more simple belief system without all the do's and don'ts and with less of a long term down the road goal and more of a current in this moment type of presence as the goal. And, um, I'm much happier with that. I don't have all the answers like I claimed that I did back when I was Mormon. Um, but I'm okay with that. I don't need to know all the answers. I don't need to know exactly what God looks like and is, and what the relationship is there. I, I don't know how to describe what God is for me, but I can tell you that it's not, it's not, you know, someone not, it's not a white haired dude up in the clouds looking down on me, disappointed when I do something that I was told he doesn't like me to do that feels natural to me. Like, <laughs> um, so a very different belief system. And, um, I, I try to support people in living the life they want to live, just like I expect them to do the same for me. And, um, I'm very connected with the gay community here and elsewhere. I find a lot of enjoyment in being with other, other gay men who are like me. And, um, and there's a newly developing queer community in Boise that I really like, which is, uh, kind of a different, different than just your stereotypical gay community. And I, I, I love that. I love a little more diverse, diverse crowd in a, in a queer community here, but. Um, I don't know. What else do you want to know about, about life? Currently? I want to know what is an idea you think people get wrong about living as authentically as a queer human? Um, I think. I think people just need to know that it's, it's still us. It's still, it's, it's more me than the, than the me you knew before. 
it's I'm a much more genuine, whole, transparent version of myself than I used to be when I was trying to live a life that I was told was a good fit for me, but really wasn't. Um, and I, you know, you're, you want to know, I'm, I'm much easier to get to know now than I ever was before. Um, so I guess that's, you know, what, what, what do I want people to know is, I guess, just that if you feel like someone has changed when they came out, just know it's a change for the better. It's a change from being a shell of themselves or a very limited version of themselves to a more full, a more authentic, a more approachable, an easier to connect with version of themselves. And doesn't mean that there won't be some new barriers that come up there and there won't be some parts of the old you that the old them that you miss. But I mean, I guess just, I should only speak for myself here, but I'm more me than I've ever been. And I, I, I hope people see that in me. <laughs> yes. You want to be loved for who you actually are, not who you're trying to appear to be. Right. <laughs> right. It's much easier for me to receive love now in the last 12 years than it ever was in my first 29 years. And that's because even when genuine love was extended towards me, I had a hard time receiving it because I always thought if they only knew, if they only knew who I really am, they wouldn't feel this way. So I blocked it. I couldn't even receive it because the version of me that someone loved and showed kindness towards was a version of me that wasn't the real me, you know? It was parts of me, but now if you're, if you show kindness and love to me, like this is, this is actually me that you're getting. <laughs> so I don't have all those walls up that I did before. And I'm sure that's, I'm sure other, other people have experienced that too, but it's much easier for me to, to, to receive love now than it was. And it's, I feel like it's life-saving. I mean, you've already kind of described it and I went, I went through my own really, really dark place where I thought I, there was no point in me being alive. And I, and it was not because I was, you know, different things, but I, in a different way, I felt trapped by expectations. Like nobody would love me if I could just was myself or, you know, there, I had a lot of that too, but not the exact same context. And I feel like, you know what, though, like, I, I think there are so many similarities between the things we go through in life and the lessons we have to learn and the, the, the dark places we find ourselves. And I mean, this is not a, my experience is not unique to a gay man who grew up Mormon and had a wife and, and had to change all that and come out and move forward. I mean, that's, it's not unique to me. It's not unique to someone coming out. It's, I mean, all of us are going to go through our things in life, just like you've gone through yours. And I mean, yeah, we're all gonna, we're all gonna learn the same things in some way or another. <laughs> yeah. And there's always commonalities. And I think a lot of times people don't hear other stories out of fear and out of ignorance and out of whatever and judgment, they don't want to hear other people's stories. But when we take the time to hear other people's stories 
we find commonalities, even if we're completely different people from completely different walks of life, even if we have tons of similarities, you, you find commonalities and it like you gain strength from it. You learn things from it. That's why this is the whole thing I try to do on this podcast is just share people's stories that look, this person found their happiness. This person fought for their happiness. You can keep fighting for your happiness. Like you are worth it. Um, and in this case, this particular episode, it's worth being your authentic self. It's worth it. So scary, but you'll find happiness on the other side. Mm -hmm. So you said you're starting to get more involved in the growing queer community in Boise, Idaho. And that's very exciting mm -hmm. for me. Everybody needs a community. Isn't it exciting that there is one in Boise, Idaho? Yes. <laughs> I, I wish that... Uh, I wish the whole world could, or, you know, it could be a one big community and we could all just be loving and kind of, but that's like some utopia that I dream of that, you know, <laughs> but, but I'm glad that you are finding one there. Cause it's not always, it hasn't always been the case that you could find a, a community like that in Boise. I'm glad that you can, who, who are some there's, people there's, in, there's a lot of good. Oh, you can go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say there's a, there's a lot of good people here and um Boise is a unique little part of Idaho it's it's a very small little bubble we live right downtown and I always say if you drew a, a five mile radius around our around our house like that's my spot those are my people that's where that's where the people that I feel connected with and that are part of this community that we're referencing that's that's where we hang um, the rest of Idaho is a very, very different kind of place. Still a wonderful place, but very different than, than where, than the, what I consider my, my space and my people. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's nice that like, I don't know, five, six years ago in Boise, I wouldn't have felt comfortable walking down the street, holding my boyfriend's hand. And I have zero concerns about doing that now. Um, I, I don't change the way I interact with him or our level of public displays of affection, whether we're by ourselves or, or out in public in Boise. I, it's nice to be in a space that has evolved to that point and, and Boise has. That's so good. Um, Everyone needs a safe space. Everybody needs a safe space mm -hmm. and a community. And I wish we could all just be a safe space and community for everybody. Uh, who are your favorite people to follow and to watch in the like global queer community? Do you have anyone you look up to or that inspires you? Um, shouldn't be a hard question. Why can't I think of who? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to think of a dozen people as soon as we end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of it right now. That's okay. Um, so what do you think? We talked about how Boise is becoming a safer place for you. What do you think needs to happen mm -hmm. to make Idaho to make it North Carolina where I live. It's a little bit scarier, I think, even here. Uh, what needs? I'm just so curious about where you are now. I, uh, I, 
I didn't realize you were on the East Coast. <laughs> yes. Yes, we live on the North Carolina coast. We're right, we're close to the beach. So like I go every single day if I wanted to. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But the climate for some things is scary. <laughs> we're in hmm. the Bible belt and it's kind of weird how sometimes people take what could be beautiful and like what could be beautiful and they turn it into something very ugly and very driven by hate and fear and it's not good. What can we do? What can everybody do to make the world safer for queer youth so that queer youth can feel empowered to be their authentic selves? I think you have to set the stage to let people know that you are a safe person for them. It's it's not going to be assumed that you are until you make it known that you are. In fact, it's probably going to be assumed that you are not until you make it known that you are. And one example of that is I've always, like for parents, how often do we talk about, you know, with, with Penny as she's growing up of, Oh, are there any cute boys in your class? Like, do you have a boyfriend in your in you know in first grade? Like things that we say that make it clear that we are supportive of them having a heterosexual relationship. But what do we say and do that makes it clear to our children that we would be totally okay with them having a non-conventional relationship, something other than a heterosexual relationship? And um, I think you need to you need to verbalize it. You need to make it known. Um. I've tried very hard to do this with Penny and I've caught myself saying, are there any cute boys in your class and trying to correct that? And are there any, are there any cute kids in your class? Is there any, anyone you're, you know, when stuff like that has come up or, um, I kind of put it all to rest that like stress and worry about, am I conditioning my child? And when I, at one point we were talking about, or she was talking about when she's grown up and when she has a husband one day and I said, yeah, but what if you're gay? And she said, well, then I would have a wife. <laughs> like, well, duh. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, she gets it. Like, she knows it would be total. like, it's it's all good. Whatever she ends up being is supported by me. And um, anyway, it's just, you know, it's, if you, you have to make it known to your kids or to whoever it is in your life, queer youth in your life, you have to say or do something that lets them know this is someone I could come out to. And, and believe me, they, they will hear it. Mm -hmm. a, a queer child will pick up on the tiniest little hint of one little thing that you say that either indicates that points the needle in one direction or another, that either says, this is someone who speaks highly of the queer people in their lives. This is someone who is open to people that are different than them. This is someone who goes out of their way to show love to anyone and everyone versus the opposite, you know? It's, but we have to be, so that that's that's the one thing I think we can all do is to to make it known yes. that we are a safe person. I agree so, so much. Show it, say it. Yeah. Uh, my daughters get a little bit annoyed with me because I sometimes beat the dead horse with this, making it too clear. And <laughs> my oldest is always, has been like, mom, you know, I'm straight, right? And I was like, well, I don't care if you are or you're not. I don't care. And she's like, mom. How old is she now? She's a, 
15. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's wild. But I've always made that a point. Even good for you. Clear back, Steve. Like even when I was still active, actively in, you know, in, in the LDS Church of Mormon, even back then I was like, well, when you grow up, if you, you know, marry a boy or a girl or like, I always was like, or if somebody else said something to them, I would correct them and be like, whoever, it doesn't matter who you choose to, like, whoever you love, like it doesn't, <laughs> and yeah, it kind of, my, my, my younger two doesn't bother them at all, but my oldest, she's kind of feels like I've, but I think maybe she's just at the age where like, it's more like everything's embarrassing. She's, yeah, she's 15. Anything you say is going to be ridiculous, right? And and starting <laughs> starting in August, I'll be teaching at her high school, so she gets to see me all oh, the time. Man. Her friends already love me, so mm. <laughs> mm, she thinks I'm so there embarrassing, and her friends are like, <laughs> heck yes. <laughs> awesome. But I hope she appreciates it someday, and I, I know she will. I know she will, but... I know it's been big for my younger girls. And I know it's, like you said, other kids will hear it and notice it. I know that's true because I have students still today from years ago where I'll randomly get a message where they like find me on Facebook or Instagram. They send me a message and I go and check my requests or whatever. And I'll have a message from a kid from years ago that says I taught them something about boundaries or life or, you know, made them feel safe or something. I don't even remember what I said or did. I have no idea what happened in that classroom that made them feel that way. But thank goodness that I did it. Like, thank goodness for whatever it was, because it does. It makes an impact. Even have these friends now who hear me say these kind of things to my kids, um, maybe not directly to them, but to my kids while they're around, you know, they know and they Mm -hmm. notice. Yeah. And a a queer closeted child is going to be so sensitive to that and is going to hone in on any anything that is said that indicates support or the lack thereof and that will stick oh and i want every 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 queer kid to know that they're safe and loved by somebody you know because i that's another thing that i've seen in my life of kids that have been in my sphere who didn't win the battle who and their poor little frontal lobes were not even fully developed yet they could not see past the darkness that there is happiness on the other side and they didn't make it out and that breaks my heart Mm. it destroys me it destroys me like and i tell i tell anybody who tries to like question me about it or get feisty with me about it i'm a safe spot like i'm a safe space and i'm always going to be a safe space and if a kid's in my classroom they're going to know they're loved and if a kid's if a kid's my kid, they're gonna know they're loved. And if a kid's my niece or my nephew, they're gonna know they're loved. And if a kid's And it's awesome that you're in a position to do that as a teacher. Kids need teachers that are that. And that's great that you've got hundreds of hundreds of opportunities to do that with hundreds of kids. Yes. I just They're lucky to have you. I was proctoring some of the big standardized exams at Ellie's middle school. Oh, this is, she was probably so embarrassed, but that's what I'm there for. And I kind of called some, not in like a mean way, and I was not angry. I never raised my voice or anything like that, but they were being kind of nasty and they were 
picking on a kid and being like, you're so gay and da 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 da. And so I was like, huh. I was like, hmm, I teach high school. I was like, do you want to know what I do with my high schoolers when they say things like that? It's like, they write me an essay. Do you want to know what the essay is about? It's about linguistics and the and the history of that word and then how it's evolved over time and changed and like the usage of it. Like, what? how are you using this word? What are you trying to say? And I just kind of go off on this big spiel and then I have them and they're just looking at me like, who are you, lady? And what are you saying? And yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know they're... I love that that's your... <laughs> they didn't know they're getting themselves that's in for. Your... <sighs> yeah. But I'm kind of feisty sometimes, but I, I do it in my own kind of way, I guess. Way to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you have the attention of the whole world, I always like to do this. The whole world, by some miracle, is listening to my podcast. And we want them. Oh, surely they are. <laughs> they better. I hope so. And we want them to hear three main takeaways from this conversation. What would they be? Um, one, you got to listen to yourself over anyone else. Yours is the opinion that matters. Yours is the feelings that matter. There's, you got to be a little bit selfish in that aspect of taking care of yourself by doing what your heart tells you is right over what anyone else is telling you is right. Um, <clears throat> what else? Um, life is absolutely worth living and what you have to contribute is enough. And don't, don't let the dark times convince you otherwise. Um, third, what else? <laughs> You keep asking me for three things. You should only ask me for no, two. That's all I can think the of. third one's the safe space. Be a safe space. Uh, okay. Okay. Be the safe space. I guess we gave that advice already, but the same, make it known, make it known to the people in your life that you are someone safe for them to come out to, whether that is come out as queer or come out in any other way, but someone you can, someone they can come to, to reveal a part of themselves that they don't always feel comfortable revealing to society or to others in their lives be a safe space for people and say and do things that make that known yes earlier you touched on like you don't know what your religion is you don't know what your beliefs are necessarily right now and if i ever get confronted with mm -hmm. it now because i don't know either it's all kind of up in the air for me but what i do know and i will tell my kids this especially if i hear them say something that i think is not very nice i'll say do you know what my religion is? Love. Love is my religion. Kindness is my religion. Those are my religion. <laughs> and I... And shouldn't that be at the base of any, any decision, any question, any concern? Should there not be love and kindness involved in that yes. resolution? Whatever it is. Yes. I think so. 100%. Instead of trying to control everyone around you out of fear, try to be loving and understanding and, you know, be curious. Don't be judgmental. I, we talked a lot about this on the previous episode, but it's it just your life's going to be happier 
if you're motivated by love and kindness than if you're motivated by fear and and judgment and hate and even just like the judging yourself and disliking yourself, hating yourself, because that's how I was. You know, your life's gonna be- And I was just thinking the same thing, that it goes both ways. Whether this is a, an internal conversation with yourself or some interaction between you and someone else, it's it's gotta be based in love and kindness. And sometimes we struggle more to do that when it's ourselves. 100%. You know, that we're much nicer to someone else than we are to ourselves. and. Maybe that's maybe that's our struggle to to work on. Yeah, in general, I feel like I'm a pretty nice person to most people, or pretty much all the time. My gut my gut reaction is kindness, but when it comes to myself, I can be a real asshole, and so I have to learn how to how to not listen to the bully in the brain and to work and be nicer to myself. Well, and surround yourself with people who 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 can be nicer to you than you can be to yourself. <laughs> maybe they'll push sway the needle a little bit in that direction yes well steve at the end of every episode i have a tradition that i like to do and i ask my interviewee guest person to put their hands on their chest so you can feel the weight there and repeat after me i matter i matter i am loved I am loved. I am enough. I am enough. Thank you so much for coming on, Steve. It's so good to see you. I haven't seen or talked to you in so long, and I miss you, my old friend, and not old That's and getting old. Old as in we haven't seen each other in a long time. <laughs> We're young. Yeah, watch it. <laughs> We're young, dang it. <sighs> but it was good to see you. I'm sending so much love to you and to Penny and to Jessica and to, and to Matt and to everybody, all the love, give them all hugs for me and, <laughs> and take care of yourself. Know that you are loved. You do matter. You are enough. Thank you, Jordan. That's a great message you're putting out there. Thank you. It's been, been great catching up with you. Yes. Talk to you later, Steve. Bye. See ya.